But today, if you have your Bible, and I pray that you do, open to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. On Monday, you will, rem- or not Monday, I'm sorry, last Wednesday, we spoke about, uh, is that up behind me yet? Yeah, perfect. Today, we're going to talk about this whole concept of Jesus being the cornerstone, the one that the builders rejected. And you're going, well, how does that, how does that apply to me? Well, you're going to find out today that Jesus is the chief cornerstone. It was foretold of in prophecy that he would be rejected, which is kind of amazing when you read these prophecies and you think, what were they thinking that they were even writing about? And it fits so perfectly into the picture we see of Jesus. And the big idea today is that each of us, you and you and me and Tim and Louie and Charles, all of us in this room are to be living stones that are part of what God is building right here on earth, his kingdom, his church, and in that becoming stones, certain things get chipped away from us that on our own, we just can't chip them away. Amen? It is impossible to do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. People go, well, he's a changed person. Well, usually a changed person's motivated by something. And I know that really only the power of God can remove from us our desire to follow our emotions and to let those carry us through life instead of basing our life on logic, meaning the logic of God's word, the logos. So the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. There in 1 Peter chapter 2, we read, you'll read along with me. It should be in front of you if you can't read that. That's pretty small, I realize. Can some of y'all read that? Peggy, can you read that on the back? I was just curious. Therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking. And he's saying this, therefore, because he's talking about because of your identity in Christ. That's what we talked about all in chapter 1, about who you are in Christ. You are a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. He says, because of that, therefore, because of that, he says, put aside malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, and envy, and all evil speaking, that's a lot of stuff, guys. And then he says, as newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. I didn't address that. I think Doreen on Wednesday night mentioned that, oh, does that mean the the milk of the word versus the meat? He's talking about something different. And I didn't have the right illustration on Wednesday, but the Lord gave one to me as Aaron and I were working together this week, didn't he? And we talked about it. It's really cool when you say, Lord, show me how to communicate what's in this passage to this congregation. And he does it even in the barnyard. He goes on, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious, that means if you've known his grace, then put aside this stuff. Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also are living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Therefore, it is also contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Zion, a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to who to you who believe, he's precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. 
Guys, this is some deep, deep stuff in God's word. They stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Who once were not a people, but now you're a people of God. Who had not obtained mercy, and now you've obtained mercy. Because he's talking to us, the Gentiles, okay? Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, we could say they're unbelievers, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Lord, let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would just unleash an understanding in our hearts by your Holy Spirit this morning to grab hold of these scriptures, and, Lord, to apply them to our lives, Lord, that we can change and be living that holy life that you ask us to live. Lord, we only can do that through the power of your Holy Spirit. So I pray your Holy Spirit would illuminate us today, speak to us, and I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Who in here has ever heard of Peter, Paul, and Mary? Raise your hand. The only people in here who have heard of Peter, Paul, and Mary obviously are kids of, of uh, look at Kristen raising her hand. You must have heard your dad and or mom playing Puff the Magic Dragon. All right, Peter, Paul, and Mary were a trio that, that sang. Y'all have never heard of them, never knew they existed. That's okay. They were a trio in the early 60s that sang this beautiful harmony, and they sang things like Puff the Magic Dragon and all that. Well, Paul Stuckey became a believer. And he was one of Peter, Paul, and Mary. He's the Paul in the middle. And he wrote a song called The Wedding Song that many of us, including Sandy and myself, had sung at our wedding. At a bunch of weddings. He is now to be among you at the calling of your hearts. Rest assured, this troubadour is acting on his part. You know, you're, you're nodding your head. Y'all heard that out in California or the West Coast, I'm sure. I think that's where Paul, Peter, Paul, and Mary were. And Peter... Uh, or Paul ended up, Paul Stuckey had a encounter with Jesus Christ. That's when he began writing Christian music. And he wrote a little ditty that I got into my head the other day, and I just couldn't get it out. And it went like this. The building block. And then you go, the building block that was rejected became the cornerstone of a whole new world. The building block, the building block that was rejected, became the cornerstone of a whole new world. That's how it kind of went. And he would sing in big big concerts and have people sing that building block. And he said he was on a work crew one time, and a guy was installing windows. He timed it where the guy would stick his head out of the window and go, the building block. And uh, But anyway, Paul Stuckey was writing about this chief cornerstone that's a building block that was rejected by the world, was rejected by his people in great part, and he became the cornerstone of the whole new world. Isn't it amazing that the cornerstone of the whole new world, Jesus, is the person by whom we measure time? We are in the year 2022. Why did we pick 2022? The Jews who have a new year tonight at, at 
dawn or at uh, sundown begin Rosh Hashanah. That's the head of the year. They're like at year 5,789 or something. And yet we, the world beach to the year of 2022. Why? Because 2,022 years ago, God came in the flesh. He was the promise that had been promised. He was the building block that was rejected, and the whole world became new by him. A whole new timetable. Even people that reject Jesus. This isn't even in the sermon, y'all. This is just coming into my head right now. Thinking about how our world has changed because of the effect of Jesus Christ. There is a book about that thick that my son, Alex, who's here today, gave me called Dominion, written by an atheist about world history. Tom Holland, in that book, states that the world ceased to be what it was with the writings of Paul. That's how I put it. And I would say the world ceased to be what it was with the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Because this atheist, Tom Holland, says that the world's never been the same. Now that even atheists argue what's right and wrong by the Bible and and what's right and wrong by the teachings of Jesus Christ. So I just wanted to give you the intro today with that little song by Paul Stuckey. This cornerstone has changed the whole world, and it's ready to change you and me. On Wednesday night, we started with verse 1, therefore laying aside all malice, and we talked about what malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking are, all right? And I'll pull them apart in detail, and basically, it's talking bad about other people. Uh, I have even ridded from my vocabulary, you'll never hear me say, I really like that guy, or I really don't like that person. When I say I don't really like that person, and some of y'all are nodding because I've corrected you, what you're saying is, I've got bad things to say about that person. And the Bible tells us to have no malice or no evil speaking. And evil speaking is when we're speaking bad of others. Hypocrisy is when we're two-faced. We're acting. We're acting out and being something that we're not. It's like if I'm up here presenting myself to be who I am, and then y'all find out Monday or Tuesday, that I'm down in Houston involved in some kind of a dope ring or some kind of a criminal activity, that would be hypocrisy, do you see? There's to be no hypocrisy in the life of a believer. No deceit. Deceit doesn't just mean lying and cheating. It means taking from others, taking their confidence. Take It's come de capares is the, the Latin roots of that, and it means taking and being a taker instead of a giver. So Paul is saying, because you're this new person in Christ, put aside evil speaking. Stop trying to deceive one another. Stop cheating on one another. Stop envying one another. Stop evil speaking, okay? And then, like a newborn babe, desire the pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. Now, I think it was Darlene pointed out that she goes, well, yeah, we should be after the meat. This isn't exactly what this is talking about, and I've been thinking about it all week. Peter is saying, want that milk like you wanted your mama's milk when you were a little baby. You might have nursed on mama, but in about four hours, you didn't know that you ever had nursed on her. And you wanted that milk so badly that you'd do anything to get to mama. You'd cry, you'd scream, you'd throw a tantrum. And we were out in the corral this week, and and Aaron and I have been weaning a calf. That calf has cried. That calf has thrown fits. That calf has tried to get through the Matter of fact, he got through the gate, didn't he? Aaron goes, man, he's coming through the gate. He got through a gate and was getting ready to go out into the field. What's he looking for? He's looking for mama. But what about mama does that calf want? 
wants her milk. That calf was so desperate, I thought, Aaron, we're going to have to tie it up just so it doesn't break out and end up down there in, in Hockley or wherever you're from, Betty, running all the way to Waller looking for mom. That is how we're to desire God's word. Like that calf that's being weaned that is desperate to get back to mama. And I think some of y'all that are country people like you, Tim, understand exactly what I'm talking about. You divide calves out and look at them. And he says, do this if you've tasted of the grace of the Lord. Some believers have never, they might have learned about the grace of the Lord, but they've never really received the grace of the Lord. They think, I've still got to do this big list of do's and don'ts in order for God to accept me and send me to heaven. There is nothing you can do. Kathy's not here today, so I can't pick on her about brownies. There's nothing you can do to earn your way to heaven, but receive the precious and beautiful grace that he's given you. That is how we get to heaven, and that's how we stay that way. Then Peter goes on saying, come to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men. We're going to be rejected by men. When we become living stones of the Lord, the world doesn't like us very much. You know what? And that's okay. That's because this home is not our world. We're only passing through. Y'all have heard us sing that old bluegrass song. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In times of old, where did God meet with his people? Y'all remember? He met with them in a tabernacle or in a sanctuary. Look up on the screen and you'll see Exodus 25, 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them. So I'm going to ask you a question this morning. Is God in this place? Is God in Union Grove? Great question. You said amen. If we all leave, God's not in here anymore. Why? Because he has taken up residence in the heart of the believer. All right, I hate to say that. We want to be respectful of this place. But God is not in this place. I think it's kind of funny. People will go, we sang and we sang till God showed up. Have you all ever heard that? Man, God showed up. You know what? God didn't show up. He was there the whole time. We just had to get our hearts right to where we realized he was there. That's when people say, man, we went to church today and God showed up. No, what happened is you got so tuned to him, you realized he was right there with you the whole time. Y'all hear what I'm saying? That is the sanctuary now that exists. Know ye not that, you're, 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 that the temple of the Holy Spirit is within you? That's what Jesus said. God is no longer in a physical place. And then he goes on and he says, you are a royal, a holy priesthood. That means you're a set-apart priesthood. What did priests do? What did priests do? They sat in the temple and what? They interceded for the people. We have some cults out there that say that the man has to be the priest of the woman, all right, in her home. Did y'all know that's false teaching? It is false teaching. Peggy, you have direct access to the Father. The Word of God says there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all. I am not my wife's priest. She is a priest, all right? She is directly in contact with her Father in heaven, the same way I am also. And so he is saying, you are a holy priesthood. He's talking to men and women, all right? And you are, your job is to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable 
to God and Jesus Christ. Well, we know Peter was talking to a group there that understood sacrifices, right? They saw animals being sacrificed in the temple. I know I'm teaching some doctrine here, but this is really important that we understand that that we don't need to go to some intermediary to get to the Lord. He's right there and he's accessible to me. He's accessible to you, Barbara, when you're washing dishes. He's acceptable to is accessible to me when I'm out on my zero turn, even when I'm not on my zero turn. But that's especially when I'm tuned in to listening to what he's saying to me. Do y'all follow me? In my heart to sing your grace. Aaron can tell you, I'm pretty jealous with my zero turn. He's, he mows a lot of stuff around my place, but you could probably count on one hand, Aaron, the times that I've allowed you to do my yard, can't you? Because it's a special time for me when I get together with the Lord. Y'all follow me? And you need to find that place where you get with him and you say, God, it's just you and me now. Oh, so-and-so is not involved. It's me right now. It's me and you, Lord. And, and he's right there with you. And he wants to speak to you. And he wants to breathe truth into you. He wants to chisel on you. He wants to get rid of the stuff that's in you that it is going to make you a stone that doesn't fit in to that chief cornerstone. This presenting of spiritual sacrifices, he calls us a priest, is explained very easily in Romans, or very clearly in Romans 12.1. Paul says to that Roman church, I beseech you, he's saying, I beg you, brethren, and I'll say sister in there, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, and do not be conformed to the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The sacrifices that we go through daily isn't us climbing up and letting somebody kill us on a... The sacrifices that we go through is putting ourselves on that altar and saying, Lord, take it and you do a work in my life. A living sacrifice, if you look at the top, is you giving up your rights to live for yourself and to please yourself. Can I have an amen? When I'm engaging with my wife, I have to often, or you're engaging with your husband, you've got to give up your rights to live for yourself in that moment. Hopefully, you're both doing that at the same time, or it gets very abusive. It takes two. That's what we do. We give up our rights. It's difficult because we want our rights. I want to, hey, you said this to me. I get to say something back. That is not, doesn't have any place in in the life of a believing couple. If you do that, you just end up being in a big, big ball of whatever we want to call it, just something so bad and horrible that it just, we can't ever get free of it. I know times went along in my marriage where I'd get, we'd get so mad at each other. I wouldn't talk to her and then she wouldn't talk to me and I'll show her. I'm not going to talk to her. I'll show him. I'm not going to talk to him. And pretty soon, nobody's talking. All right? And we had to, at those times, go to the Lord and say, Lord, uh, something's got to give. Help me, Lord, to forgive her. Lord, just do a work in my heart. Change me. And then go and act like I wasn't mad anymore until it became real. I mean, sometimes you kind of have to do that. And the Holy Spirit is the one that helps you do that. He goes on in verse 6, Therefore it's also contained in Scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he who believes on him will by no means be put to shame. Therefore to you who believe, he's precious. 
But to those who are disobedient, and he goes on there and he says, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of, of offense. What's the purpose of a cornerstone in a building? The cornerstone in the building, I don't know if we have any engineers in here. Scott's not here this morning. Neither Scott. Uh, they could tell us about cornerstones. And I cut this out, something I found on the Internet. The cornerstone was the most important part of any building. As I'm reading this, think about Jesus. The total weight of the edifice, that's the building, rested on this particular stone, which, if it was removed, would collapse the whole structure. The cornerstone was also the key to keeping the wall straight. I'm sorry, we have Lance here. He's a construction guy. Have you come up and tell us about cornerstones? The builders would take sidings along the edges of this part of the building if the cornerstone was set properly, stonemasons could be assured that all the other corners of the building would be at the appropriate angles as well. Thus, the cornerstone became a symbol for that which held life together. If I brought Lance Bell up right now, and I asked Lance, what's the first thing you do when you're going to pour a foundation? You know what Lance would tell me? I put up my batter boards. You better tell me that, or I don't want to ever hire you. Batter boards where Lance gets a perfect 90 degree on that first angle. Because if he doesn't get it at 90 degrees, that, that building's going to be wonky, okay? Wonky means it's not going to stay up over time. And Lance would tell us that that 90 degrees makes the other 90 degrees, that makes the other 90 degrees, makes the other 90 degrees. That's the only way, geometrically, we can have a rectangle or we can have a square. And if that is not done right, Nothing in that building will work. Lance will pour a bad foundation. I'm not saying you do, all right? Lance will have a house that he can't frame right because the, the, it won't work right. He can't get a roof on it because nothing's square, and it can be out just a couple of degrees, guys, and none of it works. Jesus is the measurement against we all have to line up. That's what this is saying to us. The whole weight rests on him to keep the wall straight and keep the buildings intact. It is that way in our lives. It is that way in this church. If we're not resting on him as the chief cornerstone, we're going to come apart. And as that writer said, the cornerstone is life itself. And it says Jesus is precious. He's two things, positive and negative. He's precious and elected to those who believe. But to those that don't believe, he's a stone of stumbling and a rock of defense, of offense. I was looking at Sandy's notes today in one of her Bible studies, and it was so interesting. I should have read it last week when she sent it to me. I thought, I'll just see if she has something extra to give. And in her Bible study, she she called out a scripture. I don't remember where it was, I think in the Gospels, that said that those that fall on the stone will be broken, but those that the stone falls on will be crushed. We are the ones that fall on that stone, Jesus. We say, God... I can't do this anymore. And we're broken to the point where we come to the end of ourselves and we just can't do it anymore. You go, I can't live like this. Well, you know what? You don't have to. You can fall on the stone. That stone, he will break you. He will mold you. He will shape you. He will take away your jealousies. He will take away your insecurities. He will take away all of that and make you a tried stone that lines up with him and lines up to be part of that spiritual building, which is the church. Amen?
He goes on, you're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. We are, we are royalty. I remember, I'm, I'm teasing you a little bit, uh, Tim. I'm sorry. I'm teasing your country, Missouri ways. But y'all have got to hear this one. And this is embarrassing. Tim may come up and hit me. I was doing Tim's genealogy. And I traced it back to the stewards that were the kings of Scotland. And I was telling the, him this. And he said, hang on a minute. I got to tell my, I think he was telling Ruby put his thing down. He says, man, we's royalty. This was funny to hear something say, we's royalty. And, uh, but anyway, we're all royalty. We are royalty. We are princes and princesses. And we are to walk in that royalty, walk with the royal robe, walk with the signet ring that's been given to us with the authority to, that we've been given on earth. We've been given certain authority that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. He goes on that you may proclaim praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Some of y'all are walking in darkness this morning. You're walking in darkness because you just can't let go of your flesh. You are so desperate to hear that apology from somebody or to hear that, I'll never do that again. And that is your flesh. That is your emotions taking over. And you can never get out of that deal. I'm just telling you right now, you can't pull out of it. There's one way to get out of that darkness. And that's to infuse it with light. And the only light that I know of is God's word that can come in, can penetrate down to the, from the top of your head to the bottom of your feet and help you be that new creation that you were meant to be. Talked about in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, He says, 10, you once were not a people, but now you are the people of God. We were nothing. The Jews were the people, Okay. And we were nothing. We were out on the edge, okay? We were the, we were the dog under the table. But the Lord in his infinite mercy, in his infinite grace, brought us into the banqueting table. We were all grafted into that vine, all right? Jesus said, he says, he's the vine and we're the branches, all right? It was interesting. I went back and read that in Rome, Romans 11 today because you could look at this and think, well, wow, so we're his own special people now. Did God get rid of the Jews? All right. The answer is no. God doesn't go back on his promises. And if you look in Romans 11, it is very, very clear. Replacement theology that says the church has replaced Israel is false theology. All right. You can go and look at it. It says that that rootstock is still there and we're grafted in. It's kind of like those pecan trees going down the 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 driveway, Aaron, some of them got cracked off above or where the, the graft now is broken off, and they're just coming out of the rootstock. God has a plan for his rootstock, and we have not seen the end of his plan. And in Romans 11, he says there's a remnant. There's a remnant that will always be there. There's been Jews that have believed that Jesus is Messiah since Jesus rose from the dead. We know that because all the first disciples were Jewish, Right. But there are still Jews that believe that, and they are the remnant. I want to read something from Matthew 21, 33 through 46 that I think is appropriate for this. Looking for my Bible here. Oh, wow. Can someone hand me a Bible? This is the parable of the wicked tenants. And the wicked tenants is a story where Jesus is trying to talk to the Pharisees and tell them, that God's going to work his purposes out, whether they cooperate or not, and that the Lord would replace tenants for a while that would be 
uh, looking after his kingdom here on earth. If you have your Bible, look at Matthew 21, 37 quickly. And I'm there now, so I will read if you don't have your Bible. Then the last, okay. And what happened was there was this vineyard. It was owned by an owner. And uh, the owner kept sending employees to go collect the owner's share of the crop. And the tenants that were there were wicked, and they would beat up whoever came. And it says, and again, he sent other servants more than the first. I'm in verse 36. Then the first, and they did likewise to them. And then 37, then last of all, he sent his son to them saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine dressers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and take the inheritance. There they are beating him up. Look at that. So they took him and cast him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, these are Jesus's words. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do with those vine dressers? And listen what they said to him. They said to him, he will destroy those wicked men miserably and lease his vineyard to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. And then Jesus says, therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken from you and given to a nation bearing fruits of it. Who's that nation? It's us, a nation, a holy nation, a holy priesthood. And whoever falls on this stone will be broken, talking about himself. But whoever, whomever it falls, it will grind him to powder. Jesus was that cornerstone. Jesus has put the kingdom into the hands of others. He's still got purposes for his chosen people. The one that falls on this stone will be broken in pieces, and that's a good kind of brokenness. You've got to be broken before God can remake you. You really do. Otherwise, you're just always fighting with your flesh. And Peter's going to end this whole dialogue urging us to abstain, because of all this, to abstain from our fleshly desires. And those that reject this stone will be broken as well, but not in a good way. Instead, it will be in a way of judgment. That's what's going to come to him, okay? Then in 11, he, Peter ends this passage for today saying, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. You know what? We're just sojourners and pilgrims. This world is not our home. I'm only passing through. If heaven's not my home, then Lord, what would I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Now, Beth, I know you know that song because we've sung that together. It's called, This World Is Not My Home. Guys, don't be surprised when the world doesn't like us. We're not of this world. We're sojourners. The Bible tells us this. We're oddballs. We're pilgrims. And he says, because you are a sojourner that doesn't belong here and you're a pilgrim, you're going to do things, Devin, that are different than you've ever done before because the Holy Spirit, you've given the Holy Spirit operative control in your life in certain areas. I'm not picking on him. I'm, I'm affirming him because this week he had to call me up about victories he's had about envy and things and problems and people doing him wrong. He says, man, I don't ever act like that. I've never acted like this before. That is because he's giving up more and more of himself daily 
to the Lord Jesus. Amen. That's this sacrifice that it's talking about. Peter says, abstain from your fleshly desires, which war against your soul. They are at war with you. Unfortunately, even when you became a new creation, you're still in the flesh. Okay. And that old flesh will try to make you use your emotions to understand things, your anger, your jealousy, your, and all that will do is pull you away from being the person that God intends you to be. He says, have conduct that's honorable among the unbelievers, Gentiles. That means how Faber conducts himself at Baylor Lumber or at Turner Pierce or at other places or at my house. You didn't have to bring that up. Should be honorable, honorable among the unbelievers. Why are there unbelievers hanging around our house? No, I'm just teasing. But anyway, she's right. It starts at home, okay? It starts how we treat one another, goes out from there to how we are in the marketplace, and, it, and he says, could be honorable among the Gentiles. That when they speak against you as evildoers, they're going to come and say bad stuff about you. I had somebody sit down at the Whitehall store and talk about what a crook I was and a bad guy I was for a long time. They were working there for a while. You know what? I just said, God, you're going to have to take care of that. And God did. Why? Because my conduct had been honorable to all the unbelievers in the community. Eventually, my reputation won out. Do you all understand? And that's what Peter says this will happen. They may speak against you as evildoers. They may. But your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. I don't need to be vindicated, but I want God to be glorified through my life and through yours. Peter urges us to abstain from these wars that go on, to have honorable conduct among believers, and let our works overpower whatever is said about us. That's how we overcome rumors. All right? Sometimes someone will come up and say something about you, and it's not true. You know what? Probably you shouldn't even argue with them. Just leave it alone and let God do a work. So the big idea today to all of you and to me is let's be living stones that look like Jesus. These hardships that we go through in life, this rough water that you're going through, if you will let it, God will take that like a chisel and he will turn you exactly into that stone that's a living stone that can have some productivity and some purpose in life. Amen? I know, and I've known Scott and Michael a long time. The more I gave up of myself, <clears throat> the sweeter my life became. And not only that, the more I became to look like the chief cornerstone. And that's our measuring block. Everything that we are and that we do is measured against him, not just some list of do's and don'ts that I can give you. Sorry, I'm having a little trouble breathing this morning. So ask God to continue to mold you, to fashion you, and make you a wonderful living stone measured and fitted to that cornerstone, which is Jesus. And as we're often led to say, guys, that's a choice. All right? It's a choice that you've got to make. It's a choice you have to make to give up. That's what's strange about it all. It's a choice you have to make where you say, I've come to the end of myself in this thing. Lord, just take it because I've made a wreck of it. God, use it for your glory. And then I would say, whenever you have these, these urges that come up out of you, the, the, of these fleshly desires to operate in the flesh and to strike back 
and hit back. Try something new. Just try to say, God, I'm giving this to you. God, I'm giving this to you. Can y'all say that with me? God, I'm giving this to you. And when we do, we're just like that beautiful, precious, elect, chief cornerstone. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Worship band, would you all come up?